Good day, listeners. Uh, this is your host, Michael Martins, with the Martins Critical Review, broadcasting this morning from a sunny, bright day in south-central British Columbia. In today's program, we present the final episode in our lengthy series exploring the global, global health and socioeconomic impacts of the COVID-19 scandemic. Today, we will work towards assembling the known facts and information available to date, learn what is being done and what can be done to bring the perpetrators to justice, and attempt to paint a clear and understandable picture of the present world situation. Joining us for this episode is none other than Dr. Reiner Fulmich. Dr. Fulmich was born and raised in Bremen, Germany, and he completed his law studies at the George August University in Göttingen and in Los Angeles. He has been an attorney in Germany since 1993 and in California since 1994. Dr. Fulmich is an international trial lawyer who has successfully sued large fraudulent corporations, including Volkswagen, Deutsche Bank, Kuhne Nagel, the world's largest shipping company. More recently, Dr. Fulmich was a founding member of the German Corona Inquiry Committee, the Corona Ausschuss, which was formed in mid-July 2020 to initially investigate the German government's COVID response and then led to the discovery of a globally orchestrated fraud that has devastating consequences for all of humanity. Dr. Fulmich, welcome back to the show. It's a great honor to be able to speak with you again, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. We're only three days shy of the second birthday of the Corona Investigative Committee. Yes, yes, I see that. So it's almost been two years to date uh, since the creation of the Corona Ausschuss. Uh, you and your team have dedicated an enormous amount of time and energy towards this project. What is keeping you and your team motivated in, in face of such a massive obstacle and challenge? Well, I, I would say that the most important uh, cognition for all of us, not just Vivian and myself, but for all of our viewers as well, is that this is about life and death. Uh, you can, of course, you can always try and uh, be politically correct and not um, say and 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 you know uh, mince words rather than call a spade a spade. But ultimately, this is what this is about because this is the net result of uh, all of the interviews that we've been doing. And it's, I, I think now, more than 400 people who we interviewed, among them historians and geopoliticians, who explained to us how the backdrop to all of this is eugenics. Uh, eugenics, which probably started in um, around 1850 with Charles Darwin and his ideas about survival of the fittest, which was later then picked up by people who uh, started the British Eugenics Society, I think in 1906 in England, and the American Eugenics Society, I believe in 1917 in the United States. And the people and institutions who have, um, who are behind Corona are the same people who are also pushing this agenda, who believe in the reduction of the world's population and who are, because many of them are very rich, because they stole our money and our assets, uh, are, of course, very much afraid of us and very much afraid of us come, um, uh, understanding what's been happening. So they want population reduction, which is, of course, dangerous, and they also want control over all of us. 
Interesting. And, and it is interesting, uh, some of Elon Musk's recent statements, and, and certainly, you know, you can put him into the globalist category, but lately he seems to have shifted his perspective, uh, particularly in the statements regarding population, where he's now saying that we're actually in a population problem uh, with declining population levels. So do you, do you feel that amongst this globalist front, that there are different factions competing for power as opposed to sort of a unified front that are uh, enacting a, um, a narrative co- uh, together cohesively? Yes, absolutely. We, and this is, this is good for us, of course. Uh, the fact that this is not a monolithic block. There, there's infighting amongst the people who we're fighting, and much of this is to our advantage, and it's becoming... It's all coming out into the open. Uh, many of the people who have uh, infiltrated our societies, uh, all levels of our society, um, are now visible for us. Uh, one thing, for for example, is that our politicians turn out to be not our politicians, but rather products of the uh, WEF's Young Global Leaders Program. In Canada, we know that uh, Klaus Schwab even openly boasts about the fact that he has or his WEF has infiltrated, I think, half the parliament. And of course, Justin Trudeau is one of his puppets. Yes, absolutely. And and you brought that to light on our on our last interview, which was a revelation in terms of the young global leaders uh, graduates in all these positions of power, including Francois Macron and uh, Jacinda Arcand. I mean, they are all these. And it seems that the the craziest amongst all of these, including uh, Mr. Castro here in Canada, are these uh, Klaus Schwab sycophants. It's quite interesting. So uh, I feel that even as more information is coming to light, uh, you know, by gentlemen like yourself and others, um, I feel a growing sense of frustration that still there are so many people at all levels within society that continue to participate with the COVID charade and ignore this information, this vast body of information that comes out. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, you know, there's always two sides to every story. Um, we've said this right from the start when we were only listening to one side of the story because what we thought our governments and our mainstream media, who of course are owned by the same people who are pushing this agenda, only told us one side of the story. Now, as far as the frustration is concerned, today was another cause for frustration in this country, in Germany, uh, because um, the uh, highest German administrative law court um, decided a case in which two high-ranking soldiers of the German military um, trying to fight the, the vaccine mandates, and they decided against the soldiers. That is extremely surprising for some people, not for me, because I had seen this coming, because I know, of course, like most other people in the resistance, that uh, this infiltration that we've been talking about includes the judiciary. So what happened there is, and that's why many people had very high hopes riding on this case, is the court actually listened to witnesses, which is unusual in German courts because many German judges do believe that it's in their, up to their discretion if they're going to look at the evidence or not. It's very bizarre, but that is uh, reality in this country. In this case, however, they even listened to testimony, expert testimony on how this is not a vaccine, how these vaccines or the shots rather are extremely dangerous by none other than Professor Bhakti, who is a well-known figure um, amongst the people who um, in the resistance. 
They also listened to Ulrike Kemmerer's, Professor Ulrike Kemmerer's testimony on how the uh, PCR test cannot tell us anything about infections, which is, of course, extremely important because, as we know from a couple of whistleblowers who formerly worked for uh, the World uh, Health Organization, that's how they created the cases, by misusing, by having a German so-called professor, Dr. Drossen, who's neither a real professor nor a real doctor, create cases by way of his variation of the PCR test. But as it turns out, the court, this was just, you know, it, it was a big sham. It, it was a fig leaf trial. Um, it was, it conducted the, um, it, it uh, questioned the witnesses, but it didn't care. Ultimately, all it decided is that the Germans, the German version of the uh, CDC, it's called RKI, uh, that they are that they know best, and if if they say there's a pandemic, then there's a pandemic. Even though that was at issue in this case, it was at issue, and it was also at issue whether or not the um, so-called vaccines are safe. Of course, they're not necessary, but at issue was are they safe? And are they effective? Obviously, they're not effective, as the numbers that are coming in from the UK and Israel are telling us where 92% of the people who are hospitalized with COVID symptoms, not just a positive COVID test, uh, all of these people, 90, 92% in both countries, um, have been twice or even uh, vaccinated or even boosted. So that was uh, kind of bizarre, but there's other things that are coming out of this trial. Um, I hope we're going to learn some more of the details tomorrow when we have our another um, our next uh, Corona investigative committee session. Uh, if if what I've been hearing is true, then this is going to make really big headlines. But at this point, many people are really frustrated. I'm I keep saying everything has two sides. This too. Again, the German judiciary has shown itself to be completely incompetent, uh, not independent at all, but rather they act um, on the orders of the government. But the government, as I said, is not the government. Uh, it's, uh, what they did is they uh, wrote a, a, a blank check for the a German version of the uh, CDC, but ultimately that means they wrote a blank, a blank check for uh, the WEF and the WHO. And of course, that's only going to get worse with this new pandemic treaty. Uh, that Has Germany accepted that? Not yet, and I don't think it will. Um, okay. But this country is coming apart. I mean, this country, even though, well, you know, in the United States, the, the population is polarized, obviously. Um, I, I should say between 40 and 50% of the people do not want to play along with this anymore. But here in Germany, I would say 70, maybe 80% of the people will play along. Uh, um, yeah. And that's what makes things really, really difficult. You know, if it was only 20% of the people who are fighting the measures and who are seeing through this, this would be enough to turn the tide if we had enough time, but we don't, because they're uh, uh, turning up the heat already, uh, getting us ready to accept masks and uh, lockdowns, etc. in the fall um, by way of their uh, Corona 2.0, which is what the uh, monkeypox amounts to, another right. fraud.
Right. So, Dr. Fulmich, why do you think and, – and, and so in Canada, I think it's the same thing. It's, it's 80-20 or 90-10 in terms of comp- compliers versus uh, uh, you know, freedom-loving people. Why do you think that's the case? Um, why have people's psyches been broken or, or they brainwash or how did they get trapped in this, in this compliance modality? Well, I, as far as Germany is concerned, I have a, I think I have a theory that might make sense. Uh, it may be the same in Canada, though. I'm going to have to ask a, a friend of mine, a former student of mine, who's been living in Canada for, for the past 25 years. But this is what I believe happened in, in Germany. Um, after the Second World War, uh, the only thing that Germans ever learned was not to have an identity, but rather to know how to apologize for what happened during the Third Reich. So they are completely confused um, now with all the, um, well, with all the uh, genderism and all that, you know, nonsense. They're especially confused. Uh, They're offering children at the age of five and six to choose their gender. They're they're doing this in the kindergartens and other places. It is so bizarre. And but the the most bizarre thing is, of course, that people are not fighting this. But that is because they've been brainwashed for the last, I should say, 60 years or so. And it's only this small group of people, 20 percent of the population and not necessarily those who are very well educated. No, on the contrary, it is uh, mostly those who who um, weren't manipulated by the education system. When I talk to the cab drivers, for example, they know so much more than your ordinary doctor. And not just because they have a functioning gut instinct, rather because they're looking this up, they're looking, they're checking on the internet, they're going to the sources where they can get real information. Yeah, and and I think perhaps in America where we have, you know, what they call the flyover states, you know, the Republican states where people actually have to do something with their hands and their back to earn their living, you know, whether they're a farmer or a miner uh, or work in a factory or manufacturing plant, these people face problem solving um, decisions every single day. They have to critical think in order to execute their daily lives and feed themselves. And so when they're fed a line of baloney, it's very easy for them to assess that. Whereas somebody who's educated slash indoctrinated, they have been trained that whatever they're told, they do, and they're not to question. Particularly the medical establishment, exactly. uh, you know, where where um, medical school is really about blind obedience and not asking questions. So that's a, and and so your your you know Canada doesn't um, suffer from the the guilt of uh, World War II, but we have been an apologist nation, and you know we're known to be polite. And of course, the the one of the first things that uh, um, Justin Castro did when he was brought to power, he circled the globe and apologized for for I don't you know, forget how many things he apologized for. So it was it was, it was sort of this is uh, a polite apologetic populace that doesn't really seem to have a backbone. And uh, a majority of our population is urban-based. So again, we have these people who are simply, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're warming seats as opposed to, you know, living off the sweat of their brow. So d- different kind of group. Um, and then fi- finally, in, the, in this segment here, are we really dealing here with a, a pandemic of a PCR test? Uh, is this a singular underlying cause of, of what's going on here? Absolutely. I mean, there cannot be any doubt about it. Um, The first time I was really shocked, and that's when I made my first longer video, when I was still, my wife and I were still living at our ranch, 
in Northern California, I made a couple of, that was, uh, I started doing this in, uh, I think, April of 2020. So I made a, a bunch of shorter videos, five minutes, seven minutes, about audiatur et altera pars, which means you have to listen to the other side also, or about follow the money and all these things. But then uh, after we had started our work on the uh, Corona Investigative Committee, and I learned from Professor Ulrika Kemmerer, and which was then uh, confirmed by uh, Dr. Mike Eden, who is um, a brilliant scientist, former vice president of Pfizer, who's now a really good friend of mine. Um, I learned that the PCR test can, under no circumstances, tell us anything about infections, no matter how you apply it, no matter how you use it, it cannot tell us anything about infections. The, the only way to find out First of all, you need symptoms. There's no such thing as asymptomatic infections. The only way to find out, and even the CDC agrees with that, but nobody reads it, uh, what caused the symptoms is by way of doing what, what uh, doctors call differential diagnostics. You need a doctor to check you out, to find out what is causing these symptoms. Is it just the cold? Is it the flu? Is it the coronavirus, which is contained in most flus and in most colds? We don't know. So um, if you test positive, it doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean that you're infected, let alone infected with the coronavirus. You need a doctor to check you out. But on top of this, and this is what we learned from two whistleblowers, uh, former employees or advisors to the uh, World Health Organization, Dr. Stokelberger, I'm sure you know who she is, and Dr. Sylvia Behrend, one is uh, Stokelberger is from Switzerland, Sylvia Behrend is from Austria. And um, they both told us how the WHO um, was able to declare a public health emergency of international concern. They didn't have any cases when they wanted to roll out their long planned agenda in January of 2020. So they needed someone to create them for them. That's why they turned to Drosden, who um, had kind of earned his spurs uh, 12 years earlier during the, during the uh, swine flu. Um, mm -hmm. He was a modeler like his um, British counterpart, Neil Ferguson, and uh, speculated that millions of people would die if they didn't get vaccinated. Well, a lot of people did get vaccinated back then, and 1,053 people died. 1,300, and then they stopped the vaccinations, 53 people. We're now at hundreds of thousands of deaths worldwide. Um, but also 1,300 uh, children were permanently disabled because of the, vac the so-called vaccines, um, because they now suffer from uh, narcolepsy. So they turned to him, even though this guy should have lost all credibility after our friend uh, Wolfgang, Dr. Wolfgang Wodark uh, had uh, exposed this whole scam because he was then in a position of political power as a member of the German parliament and also as a member of the Council of Europe. After he had exposed that, uh, this pandemic, which they only were able to create because they uh, redefined what a pandemic is, made uh, after the, after their uh, redefinition of a, a pandemic, uh, they were able to make any flu, any common flu into a pandemic. So this guy, Drosten, should have lost all credibility, but there he is. Once again, he pops up and now he's the uh, chief medical advisor to the German government. 
So they turned to him and he came up with these two inventions. One is they're, they're, everyone is dangerous for everyone. There are asymptomatic infections. Of course, that is not true. That's a lie and we can show it in a court of law that that is a lie. And the other is I can show you with my PCR test, I can show you precisely who is infected. And as I said before, no way Carrie Mullis, the real inventor of the PCR test, has said this over and over and over and over again. No way can this test be used for diagnostic purposes. Um, but you can misuse it. And that's precisely what Drusten did. Because as we all know now, I think this is common knowledge. Um, it, you take whatever is uh, taken uh, from your nose or the throat and is on this uh, swab, you put it into a machine. But before you put it into a machine in order to um, make it larger so that the, the, you can see what the uh, naked eye otherwise can't see. Before you put that swab in there, you destroy everything. It's mushed or squashed. That's why you only find fragments. So whenever you test positive, you test positive to a fragment of something, maybe the coronavirus, but it's only a fragment. However, in order uh, for, uh, for someone to be infected, you need a whole virus to enter your cells and, starting, and, and to start replicating there. And that's when you have symptoms. That's one reason why it can't work, why you cannot tell whether or not you're infected because it doesn't find a whole virus, it only finds fragment. The other reason is that it cannot distinguish between dead and live matter. So if you test positive, it is very possible that uh, the test only finds fragments of your body's immune systems fight against the common cold or the flu. But the way they misused it in order to create cases is you put this stuff into a machine and then you magnify it. But this is this is called cycles of amplification. It's 2, 4, 8, 16, et cetera, et cetera. And everyone now agrees that at 24 cycles of amplification, you're entering unscientific territory. It's totally meaningless. You can see anything and nothing. But, uh, and this is what Dr. Mike Eden told us and all the others as well, uh, Professor Capel, um, uh, Professor uh, Camera, uh, Professor... Um, uh, Dolores Cahill, at 35 cycles of amplification, you end up with at least 90% false positives. The Drosden test, which was the blueprint for all the other tests because it was um, recommended by the WHO as the gold standard for uh, finding infections, was set at 45 cycles of amplification. So that's how they created the cases. And that's why I know there is no pandemic. Now, that is not to say that there's no virus out there. After having talked to all these um, scientists, we know that there's a virus out there. It has probably been, uh, it's probably man-made. Uh, we don't know if it was created in Wuhan or maybe in Fort Dittrich in the United States, because as it turns out, there have been corona cases long before the official start of the pandemic. I think in July... In August of 2019, some doctors, uh, one of them whom we interviewed, his name is uh, Dr. Dietrich Klingart, uh, he told us that um, he um, found corona cases, except he didn't know it was corona back then, uh, but in hindsight, it turned out that it was corona in July of 2020, and uh, of 2019, rather. And um, it turns out the people uh, who did have these symptoms uh, were members of the intelligence community. So mm -hmm. there is a 
There is some evidence that this may have been created or co-created in the United States. We don't know it, but it probably is man-made. Despite this, however, the human immune system is such a magical thing. It can deal with it if it works, if it is intact, if you destroy it by making people wear masks or by social distancing. That's a different story. Or older people, some of whom have... Uh, have medical conditions some uh, and whose whose uh, immune system has been compromised that's uh, compromised that's a di different story or of course if you bypass the immune system and inject the extremely toxic uh spike protein directly into the body which um as as we now know means it uh it goes through the entire body within 48 hours it doesn't stay at the injection site as they told us so that's what makes it really 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 dangerous one there is no pandemic there is uh, there are alternative um, methods of treatment or real methods of treatment vitamin A, uh, d c ivermectin hydroxychloroquine zinc etc cetera, etc cetera. two there is no pa uh, pandemic for another reason it was created it was created as it's man-made uh, through the PCR test. And, um, and that's why I'm talking about, and everyone else seems to be talking about a PCR test pandemic. A again, there is a virus out there, but we can deal with it. Unless we inject the virus or its most toxic part, the uh, a spike protein directly into the body. Yes, yes. So uh, given the fact that the the pandemic once it began or once the virus was released into the population the fear uh, was was promoted by the PCR test and, and the reason for all these other measures can we conclusively state now that the the this entire scandemic was the result of an orchestrated and lengthy iterative planning and preparation process yes um, we believe so. Uh, we conducted a um, model grand jury investigation because we, that means um, a group of international lawyers, uh, many lawyers from actually all over the world seem to have watched uh, one or two uh, interviews or maybe even more interviews that we did. And then they approached us and asked us if uh, we could connect them with the uh, experts because they wanted to go to court. Uh, and uh, show in a court of law, we did this in South Africa, for example, show in a court of law that, that, that there's no basis, there's no factual basis for a pandemic. Rather, uh, there's only facts and there's only evidence that shows that this is a long-planned PCR test pandemic. But um, after having spoken to many of the geopoliticians, or and some of them uh, were also investigative journalists, one of them is your countryman, um, uh, 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 James Corbett, who now lives in or has been living in Canada, I think, for a long time, or Matthew Arrett, many others, uh, Patrick Wood. After having, having spoken to these people, it is absolutely clear that at the very basis, at the very foundation of this, lie the ideas of eugenics. Eugenics, it's a, it's a, British, uh, uh, a Greek word, and it stands for better genesis, for better life, or make people better, but who decides who needs to be made better? Well, it's the usual suspect. So that's how it all started. This, that's what underlies all of this. In 1947, after World War II, or maybe it was 1946, um, uh, when, uh, when UNESCO was founded, the first, I don't know, director or something of UNESCO 
It's by a man by the name of Julian Huxley, the brother of um, the other Huxley who wrote oh, Brave New oh, World. Aldous. Aldous, Aldous Huxley. Um, he gave a speech and he said, well, we can't talk about eugenics just now because Hitler has given it a bad name, but I hope soon we will be able to talk about it uh, quite openly again. This man happens to be one of the presidents of the British Eugenics Society as well. So ever since, those are the ideas that have been pushed. Everyone knows, I think this is common knowledge, that uh, Bill Gates's father uh, was involved in this. Um, the Rockefellers, they all believe in uh, population reduction because they want everything for themselves. They want all of the resources for themselves. But um, we can also see concrete um, evidence for their having planned this for a long time. The first uh, such maneuver, I should say, because it's a it's a military thing back then, it still is, as we have learned, but was Operation Dark Winter. One of the uh, that was conducted in 2001, shortly before 9/11. It was a military exercise or maneuver, and it uh, dealt with uh, a, a serious um, uh, virus um, attacking us and how how to best deal with it. Uh, one of the participants, um, a former lieutenant colonel of the American Armed Forces, Jim Bush. He explained to us what happened back then. It, it reads like a blueprint for what we're seeing now. The next one came 10 years later. The next such exercise was this uh, lockstep um, operation uh, conducted by the Rockefellers. And then finally, we have the dry run, as I would call it. And that is event 201 in October, I believe, or September, October of uh, 2019. Uh, then something happened that may have pushed them into an early start, because in August of uh, 2019, there was another one of those um, annual meetings of the central bankers. They're always conducted at Jackson Hole in Wyoming. And um, we are in possession of a paper, which is a kind of a summary of that meeting, written by BlackRock, another one of the usual suspects. And it uh, explains how, um, because the people seem to be um, understanding that uh, this is this is not a um, not, not a direct quote, of course, but it to the effect of people are coming on to us. They, they understand that we've been looting and plundering their public coffers. We drastic measures need to be taken. So that's the drastic measures that we're seeing right now. But again, as I said, they didn't have any cases and that's why they needed to create them by way of the PCR test. Interesting. And, and was that um, August 2019 meeting, did that have a name similar to Event 201 or was that, uh, uh, do, we, do we have a title for that? No, that was just one of the annual meetings of the central bankers. It always, they're always conducted at Jackson Hole in Wyoming. Actually, a month later, I passed through that town because I was driving, my brother and I were driving my uh, motorhome from Baltimore to my ranch. Yeah, uh, interesting. What a coincidence. So th this really has been a lengthy and complex planning process over the last two decades at least yes. to arrive at this point. Mm -hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. So uh, the more some people say, one of the people who he spoke with, he's a uh, a journalist and author. Speaks has been living in Russia. A German has been living in Russia for a long time. He's a really good source of information when it comes to Ukraine and Russia. Um, he says, well, the the actual the concrete um, exercises or concrete plans for this particular pandemic. Uh, they gained steam in 2017. I think it's been going on a little longer, but that's what he thinks. His name is Thomas Roper, it's spelled R-O-Umlaut-P-E-R. And sorry, his first name again? Thomas. Thomas, okay, interesting. I'll, I'll look him up. Um, and then so in, in your um, various presentations, you speak of Mr. Global. Uh, who is this faceless, nameless entity uh, that seeks world domination, or or is is it a singular individual? Or who is this, Mister Global? No, it's not a singular individual. We don't know who they really are. Uh, we, I do think that it's uh, it's a rather small group of people who are behind this. Maybe three hundred or three thousand. Most of them, all of them, probably super rich because they've been stealing, looting, and plundering our public coffers for decades. Maybe for much longer than that. Uh, but we don't know who they are. We can see some of their figureheads. We can see Bill Gates. We can see Fauci. We can see Tedros. We can see uh, uh, the, the people whose strings they pull, the politicians like, uh, uh, I was going to say Castro. No, uh, but all of the politicians who are products of the uh, World Economic Forum. Um, but there's many others uh, behind them. We believe this this uh, term, um, Mr. Global, I stole it from uh, Catherine Austin Fitz because she's been using it. She's uh, one of the people who we interviewed, a, a former investment banker, a very successful one, very smart woman, but also a former um, secretary, assistant secretary of housing and urban development in the United States. And she uses this term because um, it, because it kind of uh, sums up uh, uh, tells you that there that there are quite a few people, but we cannot see them. We can see some of them, and I. Once the actual lawsuits start, and they will start. Once the actual lawsuits starts, uh, start um, the evidence will take us closer and closer and closer. But even now, um, they're being exposed. There are more names coming out, um, talking about the white pope, the black pope, the gray pope. I didn't even know that that three of them existed, but. Those are the people who we're talking about. Okay, so so uh, a fellow like uh, Klaus Schwab is yet again another useful idiot who's a puppet uh, being controlled by the next level above. Uh, essentially, yes. the top of the pyramid is, is is who's controlling these figures that we see in the news. Yes, we believe so. Yes. Interesting. So I want to shift gears here to uh, another fellow who uh, we don't hear hear that often in, in the news or the media, uh, and that's Jacques Attelier. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Jacques Attelier, he, he's an old school globalist. Uh, he's published more than 40 books. He's meddled in France's affairs since the Francois Mitterrand government. Uh, he's credited with bringing uh, Emmanuel Macron to power as well. He seems to be a Rothschild operative uh, and is certainly endorsed uh, by figures uh, such as Henry Kissinger and others. Uh, are, first of all, are you aware of this, uh, this gentleman? Yes, we know who he is. We know he's been a, an important advisor to many, not just uh, Francois Mitterrand, but many other um, uh, French politicians. 
Yes, and, and of course, uh, you're probably also aware of the, the 1981 statements that he made uh, an interview with Michael Solomon, but I'll, I'll read out one of the most pertinent quotes, uh, which is very prophetic at this point. Uh, um, Atelier says, We will find something or cause it, a pandemic that targets certain people, a real economic crisis or not, a virus that will affect the old and fat. It doesn't matter. The weak will succumb to it. The fearful and stupid will believe it and ask to be treated. We will have taken care to have planned the treatment, a treatment that will be the solution. The selection of idiots will thus be done on its own. They will go to the slaughterhouse on their own. I mean, this sounds more or less exactly what we're seeing transforming in front of our eyes. Would you agree? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, uh, again, this is not my idea, but rather I'm gathering this from, and Vivian and myself are gathering, her father, by the way, was a professor of psychology. Um, we gather this from uh, the uh, evidence, from the testimony that we got from people like uh, Professor Matthias Desmet. You probably heard of him. He's the yes. expert on mass formation. And on uh, from other uh, psychologists, Professor Rupert, who's a, an expert on trauma. Uh, and uh, these people are not just him, but there's another one uh, by the name of Yuval Noah Harari. You probably know who he is. Uh, these people are psychopaths. They're very uh, sick people who are more or less projecting their own problems onto us. Um, they want us to be as crazy as they are. Uh, and that is why only those who are willing to go through this, uh, I should say, manufacturing process or rather manipulation process at the universities, only those are actually manipulated in, in such a manner. The people who you mentioned, the ones who live in flyover country, the ones who are closer to nature, closer to reality, work with their hands, they they see through this. You cannot manipulate them the way that um, these university-educated people are being manipulated. But these people are definitely very dangerous. However, uh, once uh, we understand that this is what this is all about, and the quote you just gave us, uh, it, it just confirms that this is about eugenics. Uh, once people understand that this is about life and death, then they will make the right choices. And then they will, you've seen, you may have seen this um, picture of a wooden plank, a board, huge board, part of it on the, on, on firm ground and the other uh, part uh, over, over an abyss. And there's this guy standing on that other side of the uh, plank giving orders to 20 people who are standing on firm ground and telling them, you're going to get vaccinated, and if you don't, you're going to suffer, something like that. And then one of the people on that other side steps off the board and says, I do not consent. That's all it takes. That is all it takes, and it will come. Yes, yes. So in your opinion, is humanity facing a very real threat to our survival, our freedom, and our way of life? Absolutely. Uh, this is, I think many people have said this before me, but this is really a battle between good and evil. We're not dealing with real people anymore. These people are deeply disturbed. They're psychopaths or sociopaths, probably psychopaths. Um, and, uh, and, and what they're trying to do is, uh, well, kill off a large number of people. 
And that is what's happening. Uh, I just spoke to a good friend of mine um, who, who I've known him for, I don't know, 40, 40 years, 45 years now. Uh, he's now a professor of uh, medicine. He's a surgeon. And he said, and his father is also a professor of medicine. He's 96 years old um, here at the University of uh, Göttingen. Um, and, he, and he's a ca cardiologist. So this good friend of mine, his first name is Matthias. He says, you know what? myocarditis, uh, you, you see all these victims who are dying within the first 10 days or 14 days or so, sometimes within 48 hours of getting the shots, young people, uh, soccer players uh, collapsing on the field. Uh, that's only, only one-tenth or maybe one-hundredth of what's, what's coming because the long-term effects of this is what's really dangerous in 20 years or so, when people will not be able to connect the dots anymore. Uh, so there's more to come. Uh, I just hope that um, because of the obvious effects, the, the adverse effects of these so-called vaccines, people are waking up now. Actually, I'm sure they are waking up. That's why the other side is uh, trying to push that Ukraine thing now. Right. Right. So in, in February of 22, you and your team participated in a grand jury proceeding to present the available evidence on the Corona scandemic to the world stage. Can you provide us with some details on this event? You know, what, why was it held and under what authority was it conducted? Yeah, well, we did this um, because we wanted to give the people the whole picture, not just pieces of the puzzle, which is what the Corona Investigative Committee does. Uh, because if you look at the 400 interviews, each one of them is one piece of the puzzle. But people want to know, they want to see the whole picture, and it's important to see the whole picture, especially the backdrop to all of this, this eugenics backdrop, and how they have been preparing for this, how the exercises were conducted, Operation Dark Winter and uh, the lockstep uh, uh, approach, and then finally uh, Event 201. Um, that's why we, this is the group of international attorneys who are cooperating on this, that's why we decided that we would um, use a legal proceeding, because all of us, were all of us lawyers, uh, we would use a legal proceeding in order to show the people the whole picture. And one of us, uh, it's our friend, attorney Anna Garner from New Mexico, she suggested to use the grand jury investigation because most people know about grand juries or about juries in general uh, from television. So that's what we did. Plus, uh, we um, didn't, uh, if you use that proceeding, it's an investigation. And it doesn't end with a judgment, but it only ends with the question to the judges, uh, to the um, jury, is this enough evidence for you to um, indict these people? So that's what we did. Uh, we did, uh, I think we had seven or eight sessions. I think the last one was uh, additional testimony that we thought was necessary because the psychological aspect of this and, of course, the role of the media is so extremely important. So we spoke with Professor Matthias Desmond again, and he explained about mass formation, how this is the basis for all of this. Um, and then we spoke with uh, Professor Mark Crispin Miller from um, NYT, uh, from uh, uh, New York University. 
And um, and he explained about the role of the media and how the media have been corrupted for a long time. And since 20, I think it was 2014 or so, um, it, uh, uh, under the Obama um, administration, they legalized using propaganda against their own people in the United States. Up until then, most people knew about propaganda, but they all thought, oh, we're using this against the enemy. But no, since 2014, it's uh, been legal to use it against your own people. And that is precisely what is happening. Mm, interesting. So does this process have any legal bearing anywhere? And can the proceedings and the evidence presented therein be entered into a court of law as evidence in any jurisdiction? That's a really interesting question. Um, the We used a, we called it a model grand jury proceeding because we conducted it outside of the system because we wanted to get a fair hearing. And uh, for example, if you had done such a thing here in Germany, you would not, in the system, you would not get a fair hearing. You don't get any fair hearings in a German court of law if you go up against a powerful or rich global corporation or entity. Uh, but we also weren't so sure about the United States. Um, we know that there are some venues in the United States where the judiciary still functions. Uh, look at the uh, Florida federal court's decision of uh, April 18th when they said, nope, the state, the federal government does not have the authority to issue mass mandates. Um, but we weren't sure. Back then, this is in February when we, when we started out with this, we weren't sure. That's why we did this model grand jury proceeding. The purpose was twofold. One is to show that it can be done because we, we were real, um, real attorneys. There was a real judge helping us. There were real um, witnesses who suffered serious, serious, mostly vaccine damage. And there were real experts, real people. And it was also designed to show how it can be done, because these very same people, these very experts, of course, they're going to say the same thing in a court of law. Actually, some of them did already. Uh, they're not going to change their story. And as I hear, uh, in some parts of the United States, um, they're taking this cue, sort of, and there's already um, grand jury proceedings that seem to be similar to the one that we have conducted. But I haven't, I haven't checked up on this. Uh, well, well, that's good news. I mean, certainly here in Canada, uh, it seems that the federal government and the provincial governments faced with any sort of legal challenge are either ignoring them or the judges simply rule on a default judgment, which is, you know, the I am here to assess uh, the, the contravention that you have made against the government's policy. I'm not here to interpret government policy. So, you know, it, it's a bit of a stalemate in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. This is, that's exactly what happened in this, um, in this case that was decided today by this uh, highest German administrative law court. They simply defer to the uh, federal institutions. They simply say, whatever they say must be correct, even though that was precisely at issue there. Yeah. Uh, but this has nothing to do with the rule of law anymore. The rule of law doesn't exist anymore, at least not in this country. Yeah, and I would argue the same is here. And, and there, there's so many people within the freedom movement that continue to pander what I, what I call hopium, uh, which I think is a, fa a false belief that, you know, number one, somebody is going to come and save you or you can, you know, these somebody's uh, uh, 
lawsuit is going to cause this catalyst for change. Um, are, are you optimistic of any of these legal challenges? Are there any jurisdictions other than perhaps America globally where one of these cases may be heard uh, and fairly adjudicated on? I'm still very optimistic about some of the uh, U.S. venues. Um, we're trying to put together a team of lawyers in the U.S. Um, that'll be helped by our international group of lawyers uh, to file the first complaint for damages. And uh, it'll probably be vaccine damages because that is uh, in, in, on everybody's mind right now. Even the mainstream media can't ignore this anymore. And we're hoping that ultimately such a case, if it if it is filed, uh, will be certified to go forward as a class action case because there's not just one victim, but there's hundreds of thousands, there's millions of victims, probably billions uh, if you look at the medium term. But um, that is going on right now. There's also India, which uh, whose government is completely in line with the World Economic Forum, but the judiciary is not. And there are three major uh, criminal investigations pending against Bill Gates uh, for mass murder. And uh, I keep saying if worse comes to worst and they have a very well-functioning equivalent of the American FBI uh, that needs to be taken seriously, if worse comes to worst, he's going to be facing the death penalty. Well, we can all hope. <laughs> this, this Christmas might come early for us all. Uh, so is there anything that the global citizenry can do to promote or support these legal challenges? The most important thing continues to be uh, getting out the facts, to continue to speak the truth. That is uh, extremely important uh, because uh, Professor Matthias Desmond reminded us of this. Once the dissenting voices are silenced, and this is what happened in Germany and also in Russia, once the dissenting voices are silenced, that's when the killing begins. Um, it has begun already, but of course it's going to get a whole lot worse if nobody speaks out against it. That's why we need to expose everything we can. There's, there, there are going to be some really gruesome, horrific things that are going to have to be exposed, uh, but that's what it takes. It'll ultimately, I think, uh, be a body count that'll turn the tide unfortunately and tragically, but that seems to be the case. But it is going to happen. There's no doubt about it, because that's another thing that Matthias Desmond tells us. Even though when you talk to someone and you don't have the feeling that this person understands or reacts to anything, it always has an impact. Uh, maybe it takes a couple of days or so, but when you talk again and again and again, not just necessarily to that particular person, but if you if we just keep on explaining what is really happening, this has an impact. And the other thing is, all these totalitarian systems are self-destructive. They're going to kill themselves eventually. Actually, they are already killing themselves. And their system is already collapsing. That's why we continue to tell people we must set up our own systems of education, healthcare, judiciary, um, and uh, economics. Uh, we have to do that in our regions. And that is so important to understand. It is not just about national sovereignty, which the WHO tried to take away from us. It is about individual sovereignty. We all have inalienable rights. 
And that's what most people don't understand, because once you are fully educated, you think that you have to follow orders. No. Why? Uh, and if people understand that each and every one of us is powerful, that each and every one of us is even more powerful if we connect with like-minded people, once we understand that, this whole thing will dissolve into thin air. Yes. And, and I do agree with you. I think that there are going to be some dark times before we, we come out of this chapter. And certainly in this country, uh, a collective spanking needs to be delivered to these people who are asleep at the wheel. Uh, and, yeah. and I don't, I don't wish that upon people, but unfortunately, you know, just as with a, with a child who's misbehaving, sometimes they need to be corrected. And I think we've reached that, you know, mass consciousness level of people being completely asleep and having, uh, farmed out the responsibility to an external source rather than themselves. And those individuals that form these collectives will be able to move through this challenging dark time. Uh, and unfortunately, I think there is going to be a lot of attrition in the, in the population of, of people that have acquiesced and become sick or, or not preparing or relying on the system to con for sustenance, and they're going to starve and freeze to death. And, you know, the situation in Ukraine and in Europe, uh, I'm very concerned uh, for my European brethren, because as the uh, natural gas taps get turned off potentially uh, and the climate alarmism continues, you know, particularly in Germany. I mean, Germany's on the brink of losing its heavy industry and, you know, the, the, the might of its industrial uh, strength that has existed for a century, uh, all on these false principles. And, um, you know, it doesn't need to be that way. People need to wake up and figure out what's going on. Um, I, I did want to point out that when I look at the eight days of the grand jury proceedings, um, I find a diminishing number of views. Uh, the opening day received about 612,000 views as of uh, Monday or Tuesday, final day 29,000. So given a world population of 7 billion people, it would appear that a, an absolute minute fraction of the global citizenry is actually paying attention. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's probably true. Um, we don't know how much further this is going to spread. But as I said, we have to continue speaking truth to power. And it does always have an effect, as uh, Matthias Desmond says. There will be more to come, um, more in, in terms of uh, judicial efforts. There's stuff going on in Canada as well, in, Vancouver, in uh, British Columbia. Uh, there are things uh, that are being fought. There, actually, there, just a couple of days ago, another case was won in uh, California, of all places. Uh, I think it was a case of the students against uh, the vaccine mandates. It was won in the California court. I haven't even read it yet, yeah. but I've seen it. Um, I, I've seen an outline. So um, even though people do not seem to be paying much attention, those people who count they do pay attention. Ultimately, all of them in the resistance, uh, they understand. They, they get the information. Sometimes it takes a while, but it's okay. It's okay. Just as long as this particular group of people who are asking questions, who are creative, uh, are doing what they can to stop this, because we're the only ones who can. And we're going to be the only ones who are going to be able to help those who are um, suffering vaccine damage.
Interesting. So, I mean, obviously, between the work that you've done, which is probably the the world leader in terms of assembling this information, uh, Nick Nick Hudson's organization in South Africa, Panda, has done an excellent job as well. Uh, yeah. I, I think that the massive pool of data and information now is, is beyond doubt in terms of what you've compiled. The challenge to me now is, is how do we pry the wool away from the eyes of the captured and the asleep global citizenry and wake them up to the reality that confronts them? How do you feel the best means of communicating the information that we know is to these people who are either asleep or haven't yet um, figured out what's going on? I think the best way to communicate is still one-on-one. I take every occasion um, that whenever I'm in a cab, I talk to the cab driver. When I go to a restaurant, I talk to the people who work at the restaurant. Um, Every chance I get, I talk to people. And uh, of course, I I don't I I don't I'm not proselytizing. I'm not uh, trying to convince anyone by uh, kind of jumping into their faces. But if it turns out that the person is interested, of course, I give them the whole story and I give them the links to both the grand jury proceeding and the uh, Corona Investigative Committee. And most people are really really grateful. I'm always surprised to see how how many people are out there who understand there's something wrong and who do not comply, but who don't have any real information. So that's Mm. why most of them are always grateful if you point them in the right direction. Mm. Excellent. Okay. And do you believe that there's a requirement for immediate and substantive actions to resist this anti-human, anti-carbon movement, which we're confronting? It is definitely part of the same agenda. It's part of the scare tactics that they're using because ultimately, this is what they want to um, achieve. They want to achieve full control over us, and they want us to agree to a one-world government and to a one-world digital currency. Because the other currencies, in particular the dollar, but even more so the euro, are practically worthless because of all this money printing. Uh, both uh, the United States and Europe, Europe more so than, than the United States, are so heavily indebted, it is impossible to pay this off. But it is also not necessary to pay this off because the people who want the debt to be paid are the same people who have stolen the money from us. So there's nothing really to worry about. Um, Once we stand up and resist, that's the end of the story. But um, ultimately, the only thing we can do is, uh, because we will not resort to violence, obviously, uh, the only thing we can do and the best thing we can do is to continue to speak the truth. Yeah. Yeah, very good. So shifting gears here now, uh, looking at maybe some ways in which we can address this, the, the situation moving forward. Uh, I see that you've referenced the work of Dr. Jan Ayanandis on a number of occasions within your background reference material. Are you familiar with this 2005 article uh, entitled Why Most Published Research Findings Are False, detailing the reproducibility crisis present in science today? Yeah, that's his uh, claim to fame. He's one of the most quoted scientists in the world from Stanford University. Um, he uh, and others, there's also Michael Levitt, a Nobel Prize uh, laureate who have been very critical of the measure, measures. Um, he, he uh, I think he has pointed out that over 90% of the scientific publications are full of uh, serious mistakes. Um, he's the one who actually explains, probably without knowing it, about scientism. There's science, real science, 
And then there's scientism. Scientism is what claims to be science, and scientism is a religion in itself. That's why Fauci, for example, in an interview said, if you attack me, you attack science. Um, scientism is for sale. And uh, I would uh, venture the guess that what uh, John Ioannidis is referring to when he um, talks about all the serious, serious errors and mistakes in all these scientific papers is, is actually scientism, because uh, that is precisely what they're using against us. All kinds of, you have to know two things. In the United States, Fauci is in charge of all the finances that um, are used for medical studies, for example. And he's also in charge of all of the pub medical uh, publications, uh, scientific publications. So that explains everything, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. And obviously, with, with respect to the current mRNA vaccines and, and, and Pfizer, in this case, we, we realize that there's a massive level of data manipulation and obfuscation. Um, to me, this presents a case to take action on. Um, and, and I guess where I'm going with all this is, is maybe perhaps a bit more of an obtuse angle of attack to deal with this issue, uh, namely the, the creation of a global set of standards defining specific and robust scientific data collection, storage, presentation, interpretation, and reporting mechanisms. Uh, such robust standards exist in the geological sciences, the oil and gas sector, engineering. If we can come up with a set of regulations which are applied across all scientific fields, uh, this immediately depoliticizes science, removes scientism from the equation, and will empower real scientific work and evidence. Uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts there? I think that's a really good idea. I, I have, um, when I was in the States for two and a half months, I think, uh, we uh, kind of toured the States, a group of people, including Dr. Judy Mikovits, Patrick Wood, and myself. And uh, Judy is, um, she's been in the business, she's a molecular biologist, and she's been in the business business since the 19, early 1980s. And she explained to us and to the people who came to uh, watch to see us that, uh, and in her books, I read one of her books, which is End of uh, Plagues. She explains in great detail how in the United States, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if it is no different in Canada or in Europe, uh, uh, science, and in particular medical science, has been totally corrupted since the early 1980s, maybe longer. But uh, she, has, she has personally witnessed uh, Robert Gallo, for example, trying to take claim for uh, finding, uh, finding the uh, HIV virus, when in reality it was Luc Montagnier, who later won a Nobel Prize for it. And uh, she explained to me when we spoke a lot about these things, uh, how uh, that kind of science doesn't have anything to do with science. It's scientism. It doesn't have anything to do with real science anymore. These people who are at the helm of them, he calls them, uh, I'm sorry, she calls them uh, misogynists, uh, totally corrupt. They'll do anything for money. And these people, and that's what makes them so dangerous, have now evolved into what uh, in the United States is called an administrative state. That's why Fauci stands next to the president. What does he have to do? What is his business standing next to the president? What does that mean? Is he the real president? Is he calling the shots? We don't really know. But um, this is very, very dangerous. However, 
in the US, it did have a consequence and one that was taken seriously even by the government. And that is the decision that was handed down by that um, uh, judge in Florida when she decided that uh, the federal government, in that case, the CDC does not have the authority to issue mask mandates and the government complied. You have probably seen the videos um, on the same day that they announced the decision, uh, everybody was celebrating. 90% of the people did not wear a mask anymore. People were actually dancing in the cabin of the uh, in the cabins of the of the uh, airplanes, uh, pilots and um, and stewardesses uh, came and and um, and celebrated with the people. And as far as I could see, 90% of the people in the United States, there's difference. Uh, there, there seems to be a different story that playing out in the bigger cities, but 90% of the people in the US don't wear masks anymore. Here in Germany, between 60 and 70% continue to wear masks, even though they don't have to anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's disappointing. That's disappointing to hear. I mean, and, and here in Canada, we did notice uh, as of, let's say, a month or a month and a half ago that the, the incidence of mask wearing definitely was at a low point. And uh, since the Communist Broadcasting Corporation, our, our public broadcaster, the CBC, has been uh, touting the monkeypox, uh, we see people wearing them again. And, and it's, it's comical because either you see people with an N95 taking things very seriously, or they have a fashionable cloth mask, which, of course, is ridiculous. I mean, you, you might as well wear a scarf or, or, or a ball cap. I mean, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Um, you've drawn people's attention to the fact that their acquiescence and compliance uh, towards COVID restrictions could easily be switched to enact climate lockdowns, again, for our own safety and well-being. Uh, given the data manipulation and the corruption in client, uh, climate scientism, uh, we have another example here where you know, the data needs to be adjudicated and ruled upon. Otherwise, we can fall down this same pathway. Would you agree? And, and, and certainly in Germany, you know, your, your renewable sector has, has kind of largely gone out of control. I mean, your, so is your energy price. So you're already seeing the consequences of this. Is that uh, another specter, another looming specter we need to be concerned about? Yes, absolutely. Uh, here in Germany, it's the Green Party, um, and they have become the worst warmongers on the one hand, and also the worst worshippers of global warming. Um, I, I believe this is all part of the same agenda. They need to come up with new um, ways to keep people in panic mode. If Corona doesn't work anymore because it uh, because people are beginning to wonder, um, Corona doesn't work anymore. Maybe it's going to be a war. Maybe it's uh, Ukraine. The war is spilling over into Germany and then the rest of Europe. Or maybe it's global warming. Maybe we're going to have lockdowns because of global warming. This is especially bad in Europe. You're absolutely right, and especially bad in this country in Germany. Yes, and so here in Canada. Our, our dishonorable health minister, uh, Yves uh, Duclos, who is an economist by training and trade, which clearly has no, no role to be a health minister unless you're selling vaccines. Uh, he's just announced that Canadians will likely require a booster every nine months for their safety, uh, which, is, yeah. which is really just based on a, a throwing a dart at a dartboard. There is no data to support that. And so here yet again is another example where if we have data uh, reporting and collection regulation. This is something that could not happen because it would be challenged immediately. Please provide us with the information, your data, 
which shows that Canadians need this procedure every nine months. And if you can't produce that data or the data isn't robust and doesn't meet uh, with examination, uh, it falls away. It's um, basically the same all over the world. Uh, here in Germany, um, one of my clients, actually, who volunteered to uh, be interviewed by us on the uh, Corona Investigative Committee, uh, his company is the largest barefoot shoemaker in Germany. And he told us a story about how in, I think it was in October or September of 2020, uh, a member of the uh, German uh, Bundestag's uh, Commission on Healthcare uh, visited his plant. They always like it when they get uh, free food and free drinks and told him, oh, we're going to have vaccines soon and that's going to end the plague. But don't be surprised because that's not going to be just one shot or two shots. It's going to be one shot every six months. Now, this was told to this client of mine in uh, September, October of 2020. How did they know that? How did they know and on what basis do they think they need to give these people shots every six months? Interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, at a, at a base level, one could argue that this is a... This entire narrative has been profit-driven by the vaccine manufacturers, the big pharma, and that perhaps they've infiltrated uh, the government agencies and so forth to to permit this process to happen. Um, but you've stated that this scandemic was never about health, but rather it was a guise, a Trojan horse to implement these globalist ideas and the agenda to the world. Um, are we witnessing an attempt to reorganize our entire governance and financial systems, uh, essentially amounting to a, a giant coup de grace? Absolutely. It's, um, it's, uh, you're saying coup de gras. Uh, some people say it's a coup d'etat, but you're probably correct. It's a coup de gras um, because they're killing uh, our, uh, uh, what we used to think public agencies, for example. That's why it was so important for us to learn that the WEF's Young Global Leader, Leaders Program, which was created in 1992, uh, had actually infiltrated um, all of the governments. And that's, they, of course, the WEF, everyone knows this, they meet once a year in Davos. There's other institutions such, such as the Bilderberger conferences, et cetera. But the most important one seems to be the, these uh, annual meetings in Davos in Switzerland. And that's where a thousand global corporations, each one of them, with sales of more than $5 billion, I think, uh, per year, uh, plus politicians, plus media people meet. That's, uh, I, keep, I keep saying this, that's a very incestuous relationship. And uh, when you hear the words public-private partnership, you believe that could be a good thing, but it's not. What has been happening over the last 30 years, mostly with the help of this platform, is a hostile takeover of our public agencies and of our politicians by these super rich individuals who own these corporations, whose representatives go to Davos. And then the uh, most of the people, most of the government that we have in Germany right now, most of the members of the German uh, government are so obviously stupid. Most of them have fake biographies. I mean, really, 
so obviously stupid. Of course, these people are flattered when they are in Davos and then they are invited to have a glass of champagne standing next to someone who calls themselves a member of, of the elite, which they're not. They're a member of the predators. Um, but that's that's what's been happening. It's a hostile takeover by super rich private people through corporations and through these meetings of our public agencies and our politicians. Interesting. Uh, when we last spoke and you broke the news about the young global leaders and, and their pervasive control of our present administrations, uh, I spent a considerable amount of time trying to find out what the curriculum of that program is uh, and, and met with little success. Have you or anyone in your network found what is within this curriculum that these uh, folks are being trained no, we don't know any details. We could probably find out because we're in touch with some people who still work for the WEF. Um, but um, of course, it's it, it, it can't be anything else but pushing their agenda, the WEF's agenda. Um, maybe some of them, I would, I would guess, because most of them are so obviously stupid, uh, they're just following orders without asking yeah. any questions. And even yeah. in particular, the Greens. I mean, if you tell them, oh, we have global warming, we're going to have to have a uh, climate lockdown, then they're going to do it because yeah. they're not, not smart enough, not intelligent enough to see through this or even ask any questions. They won't do that. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a huge problem, um, but um, I haven't seen any of the curriculate that uh, th these people have to go through. Yeah, I mean, that would be interesting to see what that information is. I mean, it's, is, it, is it basically a program where certain people are selected and then given a separate set of indoctrination versus, you know, the masses? I mean, it's, it's interesting to me to, to, to know what's in there. Um, and then in, in your presentation material there with Catherine Austin Fitz, uh, she's commented that the vaccine passport is simply a transitory measure towards full digital IDs and, and some form of a UN central bank controlled digital currency. Uh, what do you make of her argument? And, and is this what is coming for us if, if we do not resist? I think so. I think she has a real good point there. Um, I read her book on... Uh, the end of currencies, and I find it very persuasive. Of course, they if they want to control us, they need to control our food supply, and they need to control our finances, our money. And that's why we're seeing these uh, supply chain breakdowns. I don't think it's going to come as bad as they are trying to make it look, uh, because many of us have, in the meantime, decided to set up their own self-sufficient communities. So we're not really many of us, not all of us, but many of us are not really dependent on these supply chains anymore. Uh, but as far as the uh, currency is concerned, it's obvious that the uh, dollar has reached the end of its line. Um, it's also obvious that the euro, which was always a uh, miscarriage, as some people claim, has also reached the end of its line simply because uh, in both Europe and in the United States, uh, we are so totally, completely indebted. It, there's no way we can ever pay this back. And that means the uh, currencies themselves are basically worthless because of all this money printing. I mean, it's like monopoly money. If, you, if there's nothing to back the value up, then it's just paper money. Uh, and that's why, but they this has happened because the people who are responsible for this have stolen our assets yeah. for decades. 
at least for decades. And now we're indebted to them. It's like, you know, Manhattan. They bought it from the Indians by giving them uh, glass pearls. And this is what they did with us. They gave us paper, totally useless, totally worthless paper money and took our assets in return. And now they want to replace our currencies uh, with digital currencies, according to the Chinese social credit system. It's going to be issued by their bank and it's going to be their currency. But if people see through this, they're going to rise up and that'll be the end of the story. It's going to happen. Interesting. And uh, you mentioned it before, but you know, just to clarify here, are we essentially witnessing an epic battle of the ages here of, of good over evil? This is ultimately a spiritual battle, spiritual battle for the survival of humanity. I think so. Yeah. I, um, I keep telling everyone that I have never been a religious person because I do not believe in organized religion because I think that's all about power. Uh, but I do believe in spirituality. Um, I do believe that there's a higher power out there, and I do believe that it'll, it'll come to our aid at the right moment. But we have to do something for it. We can't just sit back and hope for the best. We have to keep doing what we're doing. Each and every one of us has the task of continuing to speak the truth, to get in touch with like-minded people, to form alliances with like-minded people, to set up our own system in our regions, system of uh, education, healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. But if we do that, and there will come a point in time, and I think it's not very far away, when e even more horrific stuff comes out into the open, and that'll turn the tide. That in combination with the body count. Yes, yes. So what are your suggestions then for people to avoid this outcome or, or the worst of it? How can people prepare themselves and, and get ready for the future and, and create a future that's worth inheriting for their offspring? As I, I, I can only um, uh, uh, repeat myself um, by, by getting the truth out, by getting as many people as possible to understand what's going on so that that small group of people, at least here in Germany, and it seems to be the same in, in Canada, it's probably no more than 20%, so that this small group of people, the only ones who are creative, because we're not just following orders, the only ones who want to find out what's going on, this small group of people will survive, and we have to take a responsibility for what comes next. I do believe that the uh, courts of law will not have very much to do in the aftermath of this, because I also believe that um, once this thing implodes, many of the people who are responsible will be taken care of by this higher power. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Well, I would imagine some of these folks, when they realize what they've done to their fellow citizenry, will uh, fall upon the sword and... and uh, yeah. Seek uh, seek resolution that way. Well, yeah, that's uh, Ryder, that's an interesting point because interesting that you mention it because a good friend of mine who I met when I was in India, a, a German a former investment banker who happened to work for Deutsche Bank, uh, he said that, and he was so disgusted with that criminal organization that um, he um, uh, he left Germany, he left the bank, he left Germany, and and spent a year at an Indian ashram. And he wow. says his guru there told him just that. This whole thing will implode. These people will be brought to justice. And before that happens, many of them will, as you said, fall into their own swords. They'll take their own lives, he said. 
Interesting, interesting. Well, I mean, I, I seek solace in the fact that much of what these globalists are talking about is so absurd that the, the reality that they wish to create has no possibility of, of becoming reality uh, because it is so absurd. And, and I think that is the ultimate um, factor why this will not transpire uh, as much as they hope that it may. Um, it's simply too absurd. It's, it's, it's anti-human, uh, it's anti-life, and uh, it's the antithesis of what humanity is supposed to be all about. That's exactly what one of the um, uh, people who we interviewed, a professor of medicine and microbiology and many other things uh, from Dublin uh, in Ireland. His name is, it'll come to me, but it, that's exactly what he said. Paul Cullen, that's his name, C-U-L-L-E-N. It's exactly what he said. He said even in the 1970s, it was shown that artificial intelligence, for example, can never uh, be real intelligence. Well, that's why it's called artificial intelligence and 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 transhumanism. Of course, he says it's anti it's anti everything. It's anti creation. Mm, interesting, interesting. Well, Reiner, uh, that is it for me today. The questions I have for you, I, I appreciate tremendously the work that you and your team are doing. Uh, God bless you and and all of your counterparts uh, for your tireless work. I mean, it, it must be. I don't know if you've tabulated the number of hours that you spent on this, but it, you know, it must be getting into the forty, fifty thousand hour uh, time at this point. Uh, thank you so much for that. And uh, where would I direct listeners to learn more about you and and your work and your team? The the two most important websites are one if you want to see uh, all of the interviews you have to go through the search function and uh, and uh, call and and uh, if you want to see dr. Mike Eden's testimony you can see it there that's the uh, that's called uh, the website's name is investigative committee.com and okay. the other website that gives you the whole picture is the model grand jury proceeding and that's grand-jury.net okay excellent i'll post that in the show notes and people can have a look and uh, get some more information if they're so inclined well sir thank you so much uh hopefully we get to uh, reconvene in the future where we uh, celebrate victory over good over evil and uh maybe one day we'll uh, toast a glass of champagne together and and uh, shake hands in person i'm pretty sure we will I have no doubt about it, Michael. Outstanding. Thank you so much, sir. Have a great day. You too. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.